social determinants of health into professional teams, improving healthcare delivery to patients and families. These are the themes of our Urban Service Talks, a podcast featuring the stories of students from a variety of healthcare professions, learning together to serve patients in our underserved community. We are a group of curious Urban Service Track AX scholars. Sharing insight to educate and spark change wherever our stories are told. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Urban Service Talks. Today, we're talking about a very prevalent yet preventable public health issue, which is gun violence. Talking about this issue is particularly sensitive, it's complex, it's multifaceted, and it's urgent. And through this episode, we will take the time to unravel this complex issue from the point of view of primary medicine along with our guests. This is Basan Salem, second year, soon to be third, dental student at the University of Connecticut. I am also an Urban Service Track Scholar cohort 13, and I am joined by my colleague, Hank. Hi, I'm Hank Weinstock. I'm a third year medical student, also at the University of Connecticut. And I as well, I am an Urban Service Track Scholar in cohort 13. With us today are Dr. Kenya Mancia and Dr. Kieran Lorick. Dr. Mancia Rivera graduated from the University of Puerto Rico with a bachelor degree in biology. She then attended the University of Puerto Rico School of Medicine and residency at the St. Francis Family Medicine Practice Residency Program in Wilmington, Delaware. Dr. Mancia currently serves as the program director of the Department of Family Medicine at UConn and is also one of the core faculty in our UST AHAC program. Dr. Lorick attended college at Stony Brook University, majoring in biochemistry with minors in business management and community service learning, and also attended Stony Brook for medical school. Dr. Lorick is currently a second year resident in the family medicine program here at UConn. So welcome to the show. Um, First of all, do you want to start by telling us about what kind of medicine you practice? Hi, hello, how are you? Um, I'm a family medicine doctor uh, and uh, Kieran here is a second year and uh, soon to be chief resident on our family medicine residency program, which is uh, three years after medical school. So Dr. Lorg and Dr. Mencia, tell us how gun violence became one of your core missions for advocacy as providers. Um, we, can, we can start with you, Dr. Lorg, and, and basically telling us the reason you got into gun violence prevention. Sure, so first of all, thank you for having us. Um, and when it comes to gun violence, um, specifically in Connecticut and specifically in Hartford, which is where our main practice is located, um, we do know that, as you mentioned, it's a very prevalent issue, um, not just on the national headline, but just close to home. And this project actually started one year prior to me becoming a second year and becoming engaged um, and Dr. Mancy can definitely talk more about that. But as a second year resident, we actually participate in longitudinal curriculum where um, essentially we are trying to find different ways of engaging the community. And this is one of the projects in which our class has participated with a community organization, Hartford Communities That Care, um, to really allow us to go into the homes of um, victims of gun violence and 
it just allows us another, you know, element um, sort of for connecting with our community, connecting with people that need us, and just gives us an opportunity to, to really, you know, showcase that as UConn physicians, um, we really do want to participate with those who don't always have an advocate for some advocacy for themselves within the healthcare system. That's true. That I love how you really said it. Um, it is part of the curriculum, like part of the curriculum really encourages that. Um, and Dr. Mencia, can you tell us like a little bit more about how you um, really got into gun violence prevention and at first? Yes, thank you for having us again. Um, I took over this program. I became program director three years ago, and I really wanted to grow the social determinants of health curriculum that we had. As Kieran mentions, in the second year, they do a longitudinal psychosocial curriculum where they cover all the psychosocial factors in medicine and how to prevent and, and different ways of addressing it uh, with our behavioral health faculty, Dr. Guajardo. And uh, I really wanted to move a step forward. The program had some collaboration with some community, but I really wanted to make it more meaningful and a more a practical way for them to see and, um, and be in the community so they can understand better the social determinants of health. This has been documented in the literature that when they do hands-on learning, as you know, it's a little bit more meaningful, but also they understand much better than just theoretical listening to a class. So um, I approached this community organization, uh, ACTC, as we mentioned before, uh, because they were looking for a partner. Uh, they, they, they do a very comprehensive work in the community with gun violence. Uh, since an incident happened, they go to the emergency room, they uh, do a lot of peacemaking and uh, retaliation uh, prevention, things like that. But they, and they had, they have a collaboration with the surgical trauma team to attend these patients. But the factor that they were, they were missing was the primary care. Some of these uh, patients as victims of trauma, they don't connect well with the health system. They really uh, do not trust the system. And, and they noticed that they had a lot of um, you know, it, it was like a vicious cycle. They wouldn't go to the doctor. They will not attend their problems. They will not attend their trauma. They will go back to it. And they wanted a primary care uh, team that will, uh, you know, care for them. However, they knew that as trauma victims, it wasn't as easy as making an appointment in an office. So they, uh, when they learned that we do home visit as part of our training, they really were interested in us having a home visit with the clients that agreed to have a doctor in so we could like establish the care in the home, trying to present ourselves. You know, we train our residents with trauma-informed care. Uh, they go there, they assess, they do the intake in their home so they feel comfortable. Um, we also give them education and information. And that way you establish a little bit better rapport and then we try to make an appointment for follow-up so they can become our patients after that visit. Dr. Mancy, I think you made a really salient point. I just want to reiterate it. The fact that being a physician, we kind of focus on this care for the singular patient in front of us, whereas uh, public health teaches us that there's a lot we have to do for the entire community. There's people who are directly um, involved either with 
using the gun, with a victim of gun violence, with the families of those. And it's something that social determinants of health, like we were actually discussing today earlier, could that be seen as its own social determinant? Or is it the fact that where you're living, your location, your SES, your racial ethnic group, that all of these things that it's so difficult to unpack one thing from the other. And one thing that I just want to point out, your wording for, there are moments where you talk about them as the client, where which is language from uh, social work and psychology, where you're coming to their home and working with them in a collaborative model. And then you said, oh, they come into the, the patient, into the clinic as our patient. And just, it's interesting that even in the words we're using to describe the people we're interacting and helping in the community, each word has almost a little different meaning within kind of how these individuals are all relating to one another, how we're relating to them and what service we provide. Um, so I thought that was just a great way of really even in our wording, the way that you bring all of that together. Um, so it sounds like it's a great program, and you mentioned that you're partnered with Hartford Communities That Care. Uh, so it sounds great that you have this model that you can get your residents kind of hooked straight into the community and everyone helping each other. But where do you find barriers in this, whether it's from the resident side and trying to actually fit that into a very busy schedule or um, actually on the client-facing side? and how you interact with them. So I will say that, at, at least from the resident standpoint, uh, we have dedicated time on Thursday afternoons to engage in projects such as these. So I think the program has done a great job of really carving time out for us to dedicate to, like we talked about before, just engaging the community, um, such as ways as this. Regarding you know, other barriers, I do think that the Hartford Communities That Care program they will tell you that, as Dr. Mancia said, it really comes down to them agreeing for us to be part of their care. Um, you might imagine a lot of, you know, these clients, patients, um, there's a lot of, there's a big element of fear, you know, allowing somebody into the home after such a traumatic event for them in a lot of cases um, is not an easy thing. A lot of distrust, as Dr. Mancia said. So it really comes down to trying to lay the groundwork and, and you know, build trust, you know, starting with the Hartford communities that care, they go in, they talk to the patients and introduce us as a friend, you know, and that's really what it comes down to in this process. Uh, it's not necessarily always about the direct medical care, but just letting them know that there are people in their corner um, willing and wanting to help them. So you mentioned that it's um, the, like really making that visits is a different experience. Can you tell us like a little bit, maybe about like one visit or how, like walk us through a visit how, how, or if you have any like advice for anyone adopting that sort of a program somewhere else? Sure, so, you know, I, I would say that there's probably no greater example about, you know, the quote of meeting the patient where they're at than this because uh, really if, of all the home visits that I've done so far, they've all been very unique in terms of what the patient's needs are. Sometimes it's as straightforward as they just want wound care and to tell them how to treat their wounds and that's it. <laughs> There's some, there are some visits where we literally just spent time sitting on the, the living room floor with 
um, you know, the client and just talking the entire time because, you know, we realized in that moment, what she really needed was an outlet more than anything medical, you know? Um, so it's really been a great experience because I also think that as, you know, a resident in training, there's a lot for me to learn here. As we talked about at the beginning, this is a problem that's been growing over the past few years and learning how to introduce these conversations into the, you know, our medical spiel um, is not that easy, but with practice, um, you know, it has become a lot easier. And even in our, you know, day-to-day -day practice, what we've started to doing more of is during our annual physicals, we actually ask patient if they have um, guns in the home. And that has become a lot easier conversation for me as a product of doing these gun violence visits, just because approaching the topic doesn't seem as daunting. Um, and so I, I would say, again, as a resident, it's been a truly amazing experience and really just finding, like I said, an opportunity to, to help patients that may not have a voice for themselves in the system otherwise. So Dr. Lorick, uh, you mentioned kind of how this is now translated in your practice and as a resident, someone who's, um, you're going into your third year, your chief year, you've really, at this point, you've gone from learning the craft to really mastering the craft so that it um, comes almost without thinking and what actions and what you ask about. So as someone who's um, not too far out from medical school, and Dr. Mancia, as someone who is coaching these residents to find their mastery, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, working in clerkships with current medical students, how do you see moving these kinds of conversations into the initial education, whether it be about asking about guns in the home and gun safety or talking with grieving families? So I would say from a resident standpoint um, and not being too far out from medical school, I think it comes down to communicating with patients and, and finding what's a comfortable way for you, a comfortable way as a provider to bring up difficult topics. Um, I remember in medical school, we had a class or a session on, you know, breaking bad news and telling a patient, you know, that they had a, a terminal diagnosis and how to approach that. But in my own training, we didn't have topics like this. We didn't discuss gun violence. We didn't discuss trauma. Um, so I'm really glad to have it during residency because again, these are things that will come up, especially as primary care physicians, because we are in a lot of, a lot of the time, the front line of identifying these, these sort of issues. Um, specifically when it comes to gun violence, I will say that, you know, it's, it's been an interesting process because it's not exactly what somebody expects to come into the doctor's office and be asked, do you have a gun at home? Um, and sometimes that can be off-putting, I'm sure. So it really is just learning how to, to say and explain why we're doing it. Um, I think that Dr. Mancia and, and the program in general has put us in a good position because we can introduce the topic to patients in a way that doesn't come across as, you know, as alarming or as accusatory in any way. Um, you know, we give them packets of information to take home with them so that they know, you know, if they were to have guns in the home about, you know, safekeeping, especially if they have children in the home. Uh, so it's, it's really just been trying to cover all the different, you know, um, facets that come with, with gun violence, um, both including, you know, like we said, the, the actual act of gun violence and as well as preventing it, hopefully, in, in some cases.
That's great to hear of kind of the way this has all been melded together and the different facets of it, whether is it, do you have a weapon in the home? How is it safe kept, whether it's all adults in the home versus adults and children? And I think that's, again, as you said, like a very interesting and unique perspective that the family medicine physician has. The pediatrician is going to be really focused on the child, the internist on the adult, the emergency medicine on whoever the patient is right in front of them. But you as the family medicine uh, physician really have to look at the entire family. And with that, that was something that we're actually, again, talking about earlier before the show of, uh, in my own practice, I've been put in these places where I'm having to talk with parents about losing a child or uh, children about losing a parent. And it's something that I just didn't feel that school itself really taught me well. We have, the, as you mentioned, Dr. Lorick, that singular session of how do you break bad news? Well, a lot of breaking bad news, yeah, you can go through kind of the same systemic way of doing it. But what they don't talk about is, well, do you sit there stoically and kind of not show emotion on your face? Do you hold a hand, put a hand on the shoulder? Do you cry with them when it's every the death is tragic, but then there's circumstances that um, how do you adjust it when it's someone who's had a chronic illness and the family's been able to come to some level of grips with it and know it's coming versus a sudden unexpected loss is with gun violence. And there are so many facets to it that that one hour class doesn't even come close to teaching. And you keep saying how it's this evolving learning experience. And I think that's something that as all healthcare professionals, we need to find a good way to kind of front load that learning so that we can be a little bit more prepared for our own well-being as well as for taking care of the patients better. Um, and with that, so you mentioned ask that no one's really prepared for you asking about all these things. How do you both ask the question without them becoming defensive or feeling like you, you are um, putting your own opinions, values. Um, it's a politically charged topic. How, how do you find a way to make it kind of matter of fact and normalize it? That is a very good point because with all the social determinants of health, even now that we are asking, you know, just the process of asking, educate the patient, because a lot of them say, well, why are you asking me if I have a home? You know, or why are you asking me even the last 12 months? And I usually say, you know, a lot of people have had trouble with that in the last 12 months, you know, especially with the COVID pandemic, we have seen uh, much more of these. And then I say, you know, we say, and it is important for me to know all the aspects of your health. And this, as you can see can put a lot of pressure on someone or affect the way they have uh, paid the medications or in any way it directly will affect their health. So it is important for me to know what you're dealing with so I can address. So even if you have never taken, it, it educates them and they say, oh, I never thought of that. Um, so for gun violence, as you say, yes, it's very political. So I usually, when I ask the question after they answer, 
Or if they don't answer, sometimes they pause and they don't answer. I said, the only reason I'm asking you is because there is a connection between health and guns at the home. And I am not judging. I'm not saying if you have to have it or not. I just want to know if you have it. And I want to provide the education of how to uh, put it safe away. And there's a lot of accidents every year. Sometimes I throw, depending on the patient, if I see them, I throw away statistics to them. You know, there are there's a law in Connecticut, you know, like I tell them a little bit of the law and everything and the importance of they knowing the, that if they have a gun, they need to uh, put it safely and educate everybody in the home and, and tell them that their kids know, even he does or he or she doesn't think the kids know that the kids know and that has been proven in the medical literature. So I basically, just like in any, just like in the smoking cessation or any other patient that you do with a patient, you put it on the perspective of their health, this same thing. But as you know, even the doctors that come to our program are not used to it. So it does take time and practice. Uh, and that's the reason why we put all these projects. As Kieran mentioned, now we ask every well adult or well child in our templates, the gone uh, information, the gone uh, uh, question is there. And we have a, a smart phrase uh, or a link to a PDF that prints out if they say that they have a gun just so, to provide them education that comes from uh, Duke University. That's, yeah, I think kind of like explaining it to the patient, like. You said, Dr. Mencia, that's that's really important because a part of it is providing this education to the patient. Um, and I'm sure, like as a team, as a health as a healthcare team, this is what we aim to provide. Like not not just the better care, but also to bring the patient on board so they're able to um, make decisions about their own health. So, like speaking of teams, um, when when we talk about medicine today or um, healthcare today, we always talk about having an interprofessional team. Um, so how do you think an interprofessional team ties in in tackling gun violence or what are the roles of the different healthcare professionals around you that are in your team? Dr. Lorik, you can tell us. So this problem affects in many levels. So just for like, just in our project, for example, there is a VNA nurse that actually goes and visits that patient. There are counselor, therapists, social workers that the Hartford Cares uh, Communities That Care connects the patient with. So already there, you have several people, right, involved in their care and then, you know, and there are role. And then in our office, you know, all the MAs and the nurses that work with us um, they, they are aware of this project and they know, and a lot of the times the patients, when they're checking in or getting the vitals, they talk a lot with our nurses more than us. They feel a little bit more comfortable. So when we educate everybody in the office, because every time we do a project in our office, we don't just educate the residents. We educate everybody from the front desk, everybody, everything we do, we, you know, we, we do a faculty development, we do a resident session and we do this staff session and then we do it all together um, with that purpose and they have a role too in, in, in terms of educating you know if the patient for example say something to them they can say yeah it is important that you mention this to the doctor you know like we all 
can in a way, you know, it's like the smoking. We no one used to ask about smoking. And now even you go to the dentist and they ask about smoking. And now it's Absolutely. the new <laughs> Yeah. So we're falling in there. <laughs> yes. They 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 asked me, at least my dentist asked me. And and they asked me about many other medical things. So same thing is I think as we move to because we have realized that these problems are very complex. So not one person can do it. You need a team doing it and from different aspects, even if they're not in the same space or time, they do, uh, prov- they do they provide this inertia, you know, that to move the patient to a direction, like when three people have maybe told me the same thing, maybe I need to think about it, right? Like it, it's like a repetition in a way. And I will say just to add is that at the end of every visit or multiple times throughout every visit that we do, we do try to reinforce with the patients that even though at this time they may not want to talk to someone or they may not necessarily want to seek help, um, we leave them with information, the direct line to our behavioral health director, Dr. Wajardo, so they know they can call her at any time, um, just because we know the effects of this are long lasting or can be long lasting. And so, you know, just the, the visit doesn't stop in the office or at their home. Um, it's really something that will continue on. And so having as many people on the team to help really benefits the the patients and the clients. And I think that's really important. And you actually hit like 90% of what I was about to ask you next. Um, So you're talking about how the different providers, everyone's kind of interacting. And we know that it's, that the event, the trauma is not done in that singular moment that there's aftershocks in the community, whether it's the, the family, the neighbors, whoever witnessed it, and also, same time, the healthcare professionals who are hearing this, who are either seeing the patients afterwards, seeing the patient's family, and are getting, again, the secondary trauma where you may not have been there at the inciting event, but you're hearing about this, the nurse, the front desk, everyone's hearing about this. And what do you guys have in place, in place for um, getting either Dr. Lajardo or anyone from the behavioral health to actually link and do kind of like critical incident stress debriefing or EAP and making sure that the providers who are hearing um, bits and pieces of this trauma aren't being worn down for it so that we can fully be there for our patients. That's a great question. That's a, a great topic that can really go across, you know, all fields of medicine, but especially when it comes to trauma. Um, you know, at the end of every session, we actually do a debriefing um, so we come back. So it's two residents typically that goes with the Hartford uh, Communities That Care team. We come back, we talk to attending, we touch base with our nurse manager usually, um, as well as Dr. Wajardo and Dr. Mancia, just so everybody kind of knows, you know, what happened. And if, if there is a need for follow-up, um, definitely, you know, that there's a bunch of forums that as residents, we can definitely um, go through and, and talk to people because you're right, it, it is tough. A lot of the, the clients' homes that I've been to are, are younger than myself. And so that's not easy, you know, just at, in their own communities, um, you know, not suspecting or not expecting anything like this to happen to them. So really, there, there's a lot that goes into it, like you mentioned. Um, so it's just, it's just knowing that um, you have to do sort of a self-check as well. You know, when you come back, you, as you present the patient or as you talk about the patient with the rest of the team, just doing your own self-check, I think is important. And that's something that I think we've all been getting better at um, as healthcare professionals. So Dr. Mencia, 
we wanted to actually get like a little background on gun violence in Hartford specifically that um, if you can tell us like a little bit more about that. Yes, so this is one of the areas that, um, you know, we were very happy to work on. As you know, there's so many social issues. How do you pick one versus the other one? However, just so everybody know, um, you know, in, in, in the United States every year, 25,000 people are killed and 90,000 people are injured by gun violence. It's all gone violence. And in 2019, Connecticut had 181 firearms death. In 2020, which is, as you know, results of the pandemic, 222 shooting victims in Hartford City. There was over a 56% increase over 2019. And, wow. and gun suicides accounted for the greatest number of gun deaths in Connecticut. So it is a, a very big problem. And when we started doing this three years ago in our, in our office, I mean, we practiced in Hartford, we realized how much we were missing before we started this because we were not asking the question. We were not asking. So, so now we know it's very prevalent. Every time there's a gun incident, I hear a gun incident in Hartford, I, I, I put my ears up, I listen to where it was, and I'm very aware and we, believe it or not, we, we usually have a patient that is either related or is a family, neighbors. It is very, very prominent. So we were sort of blind in all, all, the, in all those years. And, and, and what has, this project has happened is we have connected with these new patients, but also we have identified patients of our own since we asked the questions on the well adult exams we sometimes have connected. Recently, we had a patient that we were able to connect back to ACTC because he was a gun violence victim and because he was so long in the ICU and then he was discharged, it sort of, he slipped through the cracks. So we were able to connect them. So we were not, we're not only collaborating one way, it's going also the other way and identifying patients that need the resources and, and need the help uh, with them. And just as a quick um, explanation for those who don't know about ACTC, um, if Dr. Mencia can tell us like what it means in this context. Yeah, ACTC, I'm sorry, is Hartford Communities That Care is the organization we are collaborating with for this project. And they do uh, great work. They've been doing work in Hartford for many, many years. Um, and they have different branches of a program. I mean, basically the ER in San Francisco and other ERs also, but San Francisco was the one that started. Trauma surgery uh, contacts them as soon as they uh, receive a, vi a victim of gun violence and they immediately deploy all these people that some of them go into the street where it happened just to uh, calm down people, the peacemakers, they call themselves and they try to alleviate any retaliation because what happens is any gun violence uh, makes retaliation. There's always a reason for that. And there's always like, they wanna get back to the other side, you know, or so they, they work trying to calm people down and to try to understand that it is not, you know, it's not good to retaliate. So some people do that. Some people go and attend the family that recently just learned, you know, 
all these families, sometimes they're large families outside of the ER talking and crying. And so, so they have people to also come down. There's also people that goes inside in the emergency room, because as you know, the victims are scared that somebody's going to get in and kill them there. So they are extremely fearful. Sometimes they're violent. Sometimes they're not cooperative with the ER doctors. Even the ER doctors want to, you know, they need to do their job. So they are there also to kind of like make sure that things don't go out of hand between the doctors, between the nurses, between the patient. Um, you know, they, they all really work. So this organization does a lot and then they have to follow up and then they connect with the family, they connect them with services, they connect them with education. And also uh, they ask if they want a primary care doctor and that's how uh, we are invited in. Perfect, thank you for explaining that and for our listeners. And similarly to uh, what Basant mentioned earlier, this is the whole idea of this podcast is it for it to be uh, learning resources, other perspectives, hopefully to disseminate to other, not just medical students, dental students, social work students, but also to family medicine residents, to practicing psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, that we all have, and we keep using the word interprofessional, but that anyone in any form of healthcare really has the same goals, same uh, experiences at the end of the day. And uh, just to touch a bit on your own personal experience, Dr. Lorick, and I promise we won't check it against your residency application or anything. But when you came into this, did you know kind of what was going to be expected with working in um, gun violence? Was this something that you specifically chose the program for? Or it was a uh, happy thing to find out of, oh, I came for this reason. And wow, I get to learn all this that I didn't expect. So I I didn't specifically know about the gun violence program just yet because when I was interviewing for the program, I think it was just in the works of starting. Um, But that being said, I did know about the psychosocial community uh, projects. I did know about the community project medicine projects that the program does. And that's really what the biggest draw was for me um, because I've always had an interest in working with underserved populations. um, And Hartford is exactly that in so many ways, not just, you know, when it comes to, to this topic. Um, but really, it's just, I'm, I'm really pleased, as I mentioned, and I've probably said way too many times, but this, this is one of the projects um, that I'm really glad to have been a part of this year, because it's really just helped me grow as a physician, as a person, opened my eyes to a lot, um, and hopefully in the future will help me, you know, in terms of caring for my patients and caring for those in the community. Well, I'm afraid. Um, unfortunately, we can talk about, well, not unfortunately, but we can keep talking about this for ages because it's just such a very weighted topic in public health or in the community in general. Um, but I'm glad we touched upon very important points through our um, episode today. And we hope that our um, listeners this, we hope that this encourages our listeners to kind of look further into it and just keep the curiosity going in, or in, in terms of trying to figure out what we can do better as healthcare providers and how we can go the extra mile to reach the community, to, to reach members within the community. Um, so we thank you both so much for your, for your insights and for 
all your amazing advice that you gave us today. Um, so as, as usual, we'd like to wrap up our episode and leave everyone listening to this with some questions to kind of ponder and think about as you go through it. So as healthcare providers, how does gun violence influence your own day-to-day -day practice? And how can you incorporate prevention into your practice? And then another thing to think about is what, what role do we as providers have as advocates for social change, especially in, in issues as crucial as the one that we talked about today? And I thank you all so much for coming and I thank our listeners for listening to this um, episode. As usual, you can reach us through our social media accounts and let us know what you think. This podcast is sponsored by Connecticut AHEC and You Can Help. Let's keep this talk going. Join us on Twitter at Talks Service, Instagram at Urban Service Talks, or by email at ust.pod at gmail.com.